Hey there, I am Barb Higgins, and this is A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumph, and tragedy as I continue to retrace my steps onto what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. By doing so, I hope to not only help myself, but to bring purpose and possibility to those who listen. If you are ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, then tie, buckle, face up, or slip on your shoes, and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 126 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. So I'm recording right before I leave for a school board meeting, and I have about 45 minutes to record the episode, and I was going to just blow it off, but I'm a couple of days behind. And today's been one of those days where I've just flown from thing to thing, and I've been stressed and tense all day. And it's not lost on me that I fall back on this sort of mindset when I have a long list of things I think I need to get done. The month of January, as I've said many times on other podcast episodes and lives and in my blogs, has not gone at all the way that I thought it would. I'm recording this on the 22nd. So we're almost done with January. And if I look back at my resolutions from the last week of December, I've pretty much failed at all of them. That got me thinking and really looking around and paying attention to how other people do their resolutions. And there are some people that are hardcore connected to January 1st and other people that aren't. I have someone in my life that does their their new year in August. That's their month to reset goals and recalibrate just after the halfway point sort of of the year. So I got to thinking about my actual new year, which is the Baha'i Faiths new year, which is the first day of spring, March 21st, and how winter is ending and everything is waking up and everything begins anew. That could be a time that I could do my new year. I also got to thinking about September because in all of my life, preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, grad school, professional, I've been a school teacher. So the year starts in September and ends in June. You have a beginning and an end. And then the summer is your reset moment. That's where things get new goals for the next year get made. So I took some pressure off myself and thought that perhaps resolution set under the guise and pressure of everyone else doing it was a bad idea, right? When I did the 75 hard last summer, it was my turn. I did it when I needed to do it. I didn't feel healthy. I was noticing physical changes that I didn't like. I didn't like my eating and drinking habits. I didn't like my lifestyle choices. I just was really falling apart here. Worked well for me to start July 1st, long days, warm weather, flexibility. So I was successful. Not only did I do the 75 hard, I did 90 days of a a very rigid diet. I didn't drink for probably 120 days. And then tricky time of year comes, right? I have a couple of them, November, December, and and the fallout in January is a hard time of year for me. Any sort of holiday season will be around, around loss and all that. Christmas for us and just the holidays, Halloween, Thanksgiving, the Christmas show, the parade, Christmas, New Year's, all of it was just so Molly-centered for so long that, you know, the mindset shift is still there. So I had a very rough sort of Christmas and New Year's, which is not to be, you know, I won't belabor that, but I came into January 1st, like ready. I'm going to do the phase two of of the 75 hard. I'm going to do all these things. And I think I lasted 48 hours. And what happened was I got sick. I developed a very bad chest cold. And I also noticed that I had goals for myself around the Molly B Foundation. I had goals around for myself around fundraising. I had goals for myself in all these different areas of my life that I was putting to the side to complete this 75 hard. And I'm rushing around to get this list of stuff done, not paying attention to what I want to do. So I stopped. 
And I felt bad about it for a while. I felt like I was quitting. And then recently I listened to a podcast by Karen Kenny on self-forgiveness and, you know, making amends and looking back on things that you pummel yourself for that you can't go back and fix. And it got me thinking about letting myself off the hook for quote unquote, not following the resolutions. So another big piece of January is Kenny had some surgery. And so I've taken a three week hiatus from coaching. I just said, I cannot coach. I've had two surprising responses to that. The first one is not surprising. I really, really miss it. And I miss the interaction and I miss the connections. And I feel like I, I'm missing out and losing actual physical connections. I don't have a big social life. I don't have a lot of friends that I can call up and go out with. I don't get invited to parties. Like I know a million people, but I'm not on anyone's list of inclusion, which it sounds whiny when I say it, but it's just a reality. And I have a life that keeps me busy. So there's that. But what I was surprised at is how much I didn't miss the rushing around, the quick getting up before the crack of dawn and getting dressed and rushing up before Jack wakes up so I don't have to be late because I have to nurse him. Listen to that, because I have to nurse him. How about how lucky I am to nurse him? So I don't miss any of that. I dreadfully miss my Amesbury people. And once I'm in Amesbury, I'm happy. And I actually love the drive because I'm alone and it's calming but it's hours and hours away from my house. So those days are just Amesbury days. And if I'm not done with what else, other things I need done, those days are frustrating for me. So I don't miss that. I don't miss that anxiety. I like going to bed at night knowing that I don't have to get up at the ass crack of dawn and go rush off and do something. Does it mean I won't pick those things back up in a few weeks? No, but I am realizing that the two words that people say to me all the time, and I just seem to not be able to manage are slow down slow down. So today was not a slow day. And in trying to decide what to talk about in this podcast episode, I always want to have some sort of topic that relates to my frenetic nature. Slowing down has always been painful for me. I went through my memories, my Facebook memories for today, and I had a bald-headed barb memory where I was talking about the hardest part of recovering from the brain surgery was that I wasn't allowed to work out. I couldn't even drive. I couldn't even walk on the icy ground. I just had to stay inside and be as still as possible. And that's torture for me, torture for me. I find my comfort in, in movement, running, rowing, swimming, skiing, cycling, and then working out all those, all those things, even walking lately makes me feel better, but there's the ultimate slow down. Sometimes you have to slow down to let, to let your body heal or to let your mind heal or to let things gel, which brought me back to my recent Christmas gift, which is a teacher that said jello time. And I use this all the time in my coaching to get my athletes to take rests. And like any good coach, I don't follow my own coaching. I just had a wonderful podcast interview with a woman named Lita Peterson. And we talked about how we often don't do the things that we say when we're coaching. And she, she worked for public health for a long time and counseled people on healthy lifestyles. And she didn't read one herself. That was a great podcast episode, by the way. It's called the CrossFit Lady Podcast. You can find it everywhere. Take a listen. It's a conversation. It's it's Rita and myself, but you might hear things that I wouldn't say in my own podcast. So it was a lot of fun. So slowing down. So I think this is hard for me because when, when I slow down, my mind is free to wander. And, and my mind is a repository of everything I've ever experienced. I have the unluckiness of having a really, really good memory. Now, memory is often affected by emotion. So I can't say that my memory is always 100% accurate when it comes to things that have happened to me, traumatic things. But I can, I can remember enough details to get to the bottom of any story. And some people are lucky enough to not remember. Maybe that, that's not a good thing, but sometimes I, I curse my memory. So one of the main reasons for taking time off from coaching, aside from being here for Kenny because he can't lift deck, was to 
focus more time on cleaning my house, getting my office just put together and the Molly B Foundation. And here it is, January 22nd, and I missed a meeting today with my web designer. My office remains a disaster. Now I have made some progress, but I'm so quick to look at myself and see what a failure I am. The other tricky part for the month of January is alcohol consumption. So one of Kenny's and my worst connections is alcohol. I was I was nine years sober when I met Kenny and I had never been a daily drinker and I lost my sobriety or I gave it up, I didn't lose it. I took it away with him and we became daily drinkers. And I remember being panicked about how easy it was for me to develop a routine of having a drink every day. I grew up in a home with no alcohol, two very dry drunks, but no alcohol in the house. My other family members, my biological dad was what I call a cocktail hour alcoholic. He had his two stingers every day, no matter what. And I know sometimes he had wine after that. So he drank every day. These are just two different ways of living. Kenny grew up in a house full of alcohol. Alcohol played a major role in every celebration at his house in day-to-day life. His dad had a pool table in the basement and a keg of beer at all times. That was his life. And so it's, it's normal for him. I can remember early on one time, it was like a Tuesday night and and he said, well, what are you doing now? Why don't you stay and have a drink? And I'm like, a drink on a Tuesday night? And it befuddled me. I couldn't even wrap my head around having a drink during the week because I was a binge drinker on the weekends. So what does that have to do with now? So Kenny and I had no alcohol, 90 days. Well, I didn't. I'm finding evidence that he had alcohol the whole entire time. I don't care. I have no judgment on that. Kenny's, Kenny's alcohol consumption is not my judge, mine to judge. But it makes me realize that it's a bigger issue than he's willing to acknowledge. So we didn't drink or, or there was no alcohol in our daily routine for four months. And then the holidays came. And so we, we managed it pretty well. We would always communicate about it. When we said we weren't going to drink, we wouldn't. And, and if one of us brought it up, the other one, I would never bring it up. Even if I wanted to, I wouldn't, because I knew if I did, he would agree. Kenny will never say no. Oftentimes he'll bring it up and I'll say no. And he was good about not drinking. He was, he was good about not drinking. So we stopped drinking January 1st and we didn't drink, even though everything else was falling apart. He mentioned a couple of times that I want drinks. And I said, just because I'm not doing the 75 hard doesn't mean I want to drink. I'm not drinking. And so he let it go. Polly and I got together when the day he had surgery and we had a couple of drinks and there was some left over. I didn't want to overdrink. And I made the mistake of making him a drink when he got home from his surgery. I knew it would calm him down. I knew he would appreciate it. But what that did was trigger in him getting back into drinking. So the next day he asked, did I want drinks? And I said, no, but I'm happy to buy you drinks. So for the next four or five days after his surgery, I just bought him shooters and he and he made his self, self drinks, which then turned into when he could finally drive, I'd come home, oh, here, I made this for you and it's a drink. So my alcohol weakness is that if it's in front of me, it is incredibly difficult for me to not drink it. And I know this is my excuse now. I'm not blaming anyone on anything on anyone else. Kenny gets super happy when I drink with him. And I think it's because he thinks it means we have a connection that is important. I don't know why drinking with somebody is important, but it is to him. And so I started to see that when he would say, let's have drinks tonight, I'd say, I don't really want to, but you can go right ahead. No, I'm, I want you to have drinks too. Like it wasn't, it was the alcohol. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to drink alone. I think he feels if he doesn't drink alone, he's not the only one drinking. So it's not a problem, but I think he attaches something to it that doesn't exist. Sunday morning, I got really angry. I promise this has to do with slowing down because <laughs> I, we had had three drinks instead of two and it was too much. And I woke up and I weighed 140 and I just see myself slipping back into this lifestyle I do not want. So I just said, please, Kenny, we're done. We're going to New York in a few days. I want to feel good. I want to look good. I no more drinking until we get back from New York, if then. And he agreed wholeheartedly. And then we had 
I got home from a very busy day. It was Sunday evening. And he asked me, so drinks tonight? And I said, no, I said, I didn't want to. And then a few minutes later, are you sure? I could just go down and get a few. And I said, no, Kenny, if you want to have drinks, please go get yourself drinks. It's fine. No, no, I want to drink with you two more times. And I, and I was, so finally, I just, I just got so frustrated. He, it's not that I need drinks. I just, you're so upset. It would make you feel better. Trust me. You know, like, like at age 60, I don't know how alcohol affects my body. So I just got very frustrated. So I said, fine, fine. Because the only way to get him off my back was to do this. So he, he gleefully skips out of the house. He's so utterly happy that I want to drink that I can't even function about, like, I didn't know how to deal with it. So he comes back and I'm busy trying to do things. I, I you know I'm, Jack is being very, very helpful. So I'm actually able to do some paperwork and he brings up a drink and sets it on the table. And he goes, there you go. You know, like, like it's a freaking gift. And so I had the drinks just two, which is fine, except that I can't focus on a blog when I've had drinks and I can't, like, it didn't make anything better. It didn't relax me. So I really cut loose on Kenny. I just cut loose, really screamed and yelled at him. Don't you ever, we're done with this. We're done with this. I said no four times. I only said yes to get you off my back. And it was the happiest moment of your day. Like you couldn't wipe the smile off your face. I don't know why you think this is a good thing and what's coming up in your head. That means us drinking is a good thing. So I realize this is personal stuff to share, but you know what? There's so much addiction out there. And especially with alcohol, where it's so socially acceptable and pushed, you just need to talk about it. When you get around to consent, your consent is a hefty word. And it's under a lot of fire right now with a lot of male, female issues and men and women's spaces. And, you know, I said, no, 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 no. Finally, I said, yes, because I just wanted Kenny to shut up. Did I really want the drinks? No, no, I drank them. So I took it upon myself to do that. So I can't say I was forced to drink the alcohol, but it was a situation that became unmanageable. And so I just caved. And that's what I said to Kenny. I'm not blaming you for this. I'm blaming myself. I'm disappointed in myself. I didn't stand up to you. And that that's just a metaphor for so many other things that I don't stand up for. So we haven't talked about it at all today, but in my day-to-day travels and trying to get things done, I really tried to be slow about it. Like if I don't finish everything, fine, I don't finish everything. I need to stop beating myself up over trying to get everything done. So as I was coloring my hair to get the gray out and moving the laundry along and cleaning up the house a bit so it's more manageable for our evening activities, I thought about talking about slowing down. And so what came to mind now was going online and finding some quotes about slowing down. Some of them stuck out for me, and so I'll share them. I have a really hard time with the whole be mindful, living gratitude. And I say that tongue in cheek because I know it's important to do so. And I do really endeavor to practice gratitude every day. I try to notice the gratitude. And actually, before I get started on the slowing down piece, one thing about being home and not rushing off is I have mornings with Jack and he loves waking up with me. He'll put my chin in his hand. Mommy, you're here. We're together. It's the sweetest. It's just sweet. I can nurse him and we have a morning routine. And I think that's better. Jack also notices everything. And probably 15 times yesterday, he said, Mommy, put your happy face on. Are you happy? don't be mad at daddy. Don't be mad at sissy. Don't be angry. And so he sees my face and my facial expressions. It reminds me of when I was a little girl and my mother would always look so worried and far away. And I would be so anxious for her, like worried about my mother. We really do repeat our parents sometimes. Anyway, back to the slowing. So slowing down, I found a page with 37 quotes about slowing down. So the first one that stuck stuck out to me was number 35. And it says, nature does not hurry yet everything is accomplished. And that's Lao Tzu. It got me thinking about an experiment that was once done to 
expedite silk production. So silk moths are a very specific moth. Their webs, they weave silk, right? So in growing the moths, the people that were trying to manufacture lots of silk, if they peeled the cocoons for the moths, they could come out of the moth more quickly and then get to the silk making more quickly. And what they realized was if they didn't let the moth struggle out of the cocoon in the time it needed, the moth would die. Process of struggling and pushing and stretching the wings and all of those things was a necessary part of the moth's ability to then spin webs of silk. Pretty amazing, yes? So that that has always stuck out to me because as an athletic coach, I've always understood that, yes, you can expedite fitness, but you can't really speed it up. It's going to come at the pace it comes. Every athlete, every body gets to a point, and athletics is very body-centered, where that body is improving as quickly as it can. And it made me think of, you know, when you plant seeds for your vegetable garden and they don't grow any fat, you know, you can expedite their growing by giving them water and light. They'll grow at the pace they grow. Nature really does do what it does. And if you look at when nature acts quickly, high winds, ferocious storms, there's lots of damage. So that was a good one for me. I really liked it. So here's an Eckhart Tolle quote. It's one that always gives me, sort of makes me go, because I guess it triggers me. It's basically about living in the moment. So it says, realize deeply that the present moment is all you ever have. Make the now the primary focus of your life. So that's true and not true. And so I'm the way I'm making the now the primary focus is when I'm sitting, when I'm sitting because I need to nurse Jack, when I'm lying in the bed because Jack wants me next to him, when I'm sitting next to Jack on the couch <laughs> while he watches a video, when I'm forced to be still, rather than think about the 9,000 things I could be doing, being home has allowed me to live in that moment, to just enjoy the fact that this is where I am right now. Today, I had a workout, and I could have gotten the workout done much more quickly, but I took the time. I stretched. I did mobility. I took the rest in between the repetitions. I took time choosing the workout. I did a cool down. Like, I did it properly. Even though I could have gotten two or three more things done if I had gone quickly, rather than rush through my workout, the one thing I've done in January is I've done some sort of workout every day unless I was sick. I've followed through on so many workout things with mobility, gymnastics moves, and weightlifting. This next one is relevant to my current January where, where I've cut some things out. I can't say that I've cut, that I like what I've cut out, but it is making me think about how I want to reinsert things into my life and what I want to reinsert into my life. So be a curator of your life. Slowly cut things out until you're left only with what you love, what's necessary with what makes you happy. So listen, I don't think life is all about being happy all the time. I think if we were always happy, we'd never learn anything. You know, the things that come with beauty sometimes are the pain and the difficulty of getting through something, the moth coming out of the cocoon, right? But to find happiness in the struggles is certainly helpful. I already know that the schedule I create for myself when Kenny is well enough for me to go back into the coaching realm will look a bit different because I really need to set it up in a way that maximizes my time sort of creates an environment where I'm really enjoying the coaching. Take the long way home. There was a song when I was in high school, take the long way home. I do that a lot, actually. And that's something I learned from my mother. And as a child, I just thought she likes driving around. But now what I realize is the car can be an escape. I think sometimes she was looking for somebody, but the car can also be quite an escape. I love driving. It's sort of like flying or circling an airport. You're accessible, but not really. Nobody can jump out behind you. Nobody can touch you. You know, you're in the car by yourself. So you can listen to music, you can listen to a podcast. Those are times that I enjoy. So I often take the long way home. It continues, I slow my pace down. I take a moment to just stop and look around me. For the first time in a long time, 
I can smell the coffee, Alexandra Potter. So my favorite part of not having to fly out of the house is I don't get up until I smell the coffee. I make myself stay in bed till 6.30. Sometimes that's difficult and I can't do it, but I really do try so that I can, you know, smell the coffee. Here's a good one that, that resonates a bit with my AA experience, Alcoholics Anonymous. If people just took it a day at a time, they'd be a lot happier. So this is true. And this, and getting back to living in the moment. Yes, focus on today. Because today is the only thing you're sure of. It's now. Tomorrow is the future. Yesterday's history. All you really have is today. However, I'm the kind of person that is always thinking about tomorrow because I want to be prepared for it. So, for example, today, getting all ready for New York, Kenny was like, well, let's just have a quick dinner. And I said, no, why don't you make a crock pot? We can make containers to take with us. So we get to New York City at seven o'clock at night and check into our hotel. We can microwave yummy crockpot stew for dinner. We don't have to go to a restaurant. So yes, live in the moment. But my way, of, when you're when you're managing a household, you have to live in all the moments sometimes. And that's something I find really difficult. And I think it's why I get so frustrated with Gracie and with Kenny sometimes. No, mostly with Kenny than Gracie, but is that they're very much in the moment. They aren't always thinking ahead. Gracie's getting a lot better at it because she has a busy life. But Kenny is truly just right here, right now. Okay, this one reminds me of my friend Claudia Smith. So Claudia has 11 beautiful kids. One of them is named Ember, and she's who I named Gracie after. And Claudia and I have a very, very special relationship. We just love one another and understand each other's mutualness. <laughs> so she sends me an email every week, and they're always exactly what I need. Yesterday, she sent me a beautiful rocky, you know, it's a mountain in Utah in Ogden, and there's a smiley face on it. Like, just the, the where the snow is blown off in some places, there's a big smile on this mountain face. It's amazing. So she sent it to me. Absolutely perfect. That was just what I needed to see. So this quote around slowing down is this. Some of the secret joys of living are not found by rushing from point A to point B, but by inventing some imaginary letters along the way. And that's Douglas Peggetts. I don't know who that is, but I thought that was a good one. You know, invent a letter so that you're, you know, just mandering however, however life takes you. This is a good one for me as well. It comes back to running. Slow down and everything you are chasing will come around and catch you. <laughs> and that was John DePaula. Hmm. I don't know who that is, but Tommy DePaula was a great children's author. So that's what that reminds me of. So it's true. Sometimes you can, you can lose so much energy chasing something that you forget what you're even chasing. And if you just stop, suddenly there it is. And I know that that's true for me. A lot of my motivations for getting into the activities I do can be egocentric, not ego like, oh, I'm so full of myself, but like based, sort of based in fear. The ego functions on fear and anxiety, whereas the soul functions on love. And, and that can be just a hard place to get and stay sometimes. <laughs> Mae West. So Mae West was a movie star in the 40s. Mae West, peel me a grape, Eula. That's not the quote, though, but she did say that. So this is anything worth doing is worth doing slowly. Now, Mae West was like a cover girl. And so I'm sure, quite sure what she meant by this was sex, <laughs> right? But she's right. I mean, running a five-minute mile is not done slowly, so that would work. But lots and lots of things can be done with thoughtfulness and at a slow pace, and you can get a lot more out of it. So Lily Tomlin, who is a comedian, she's hilarious. Look her up if you don't know who she is. First quote here is, for fast-acting relief, try slowing down. So this is probably something I should tattoo on my forehead backwards so when I look in the mirror, I can see it or put it on my, on my bedroom wall. I do know that sometimes I get sick and then I have to stop. I'm sick, so I have to call out of things. And I lie down on the couch. And, and when I got sick in early January, I'm lying on the couch and I'm feeling horrible and I'm in pajamas. 
And I was like, oh my God, I get to lie here for five days. And I had utter relief. If that isn't the universe saying, Barbara, smart up now, I don't know what is. And I think that's true. I think sometimes just taking a step back is a really, really solid way to slow down. Billy Joel has one. I don't know if it's a song lyric or not. I want to sing it, but I'm not sure what the song is. But it says, slow down, you're doing fine. You can't be everything you want to be before your time. So this is one of those ones, you know, there's all those social media memes on Facebook. Like in 10 years from now, you'll look back at a picture of you today in which you were, which you were here. It's like that. Like we're so caught up in everything that's wrong with right now. When I look at a picture of me 20 years ago at 40, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a child. And I remember at 40, I felt so old because I was, oh no, 40. So that's what this reminds me of. Slow down. You're doing fine. You can't be everything you want before your time. This is so very, very true. You know, and I want to be so many things. I want to be a good mother and I want to be a CrossFit champion and I want to be a, a number one best-selling author. I, you know, I have all these things I want to be and all of those things are processing. doesn't mean I don't need to smarten up and do things better, but I have a, something I came to, which I'll close up with. Sometimes our stop doing list needs to be bigger than our to-do list. This is Patty Dye, D-I-G-H. I don't know who she is, but boy, this is another one that I'm going to write down or maybe put on a t-shirt or a coffee mug. Sometimes our stop doing list needs to be bigger than our to-do list. So what I've started to do is at the end of the day, rather than look at the things that are not crossed off, I only look at what I've crossed off. Because always, if I have a list of 20 things, I've almost always crossed off 12 or 13 of them, always more than half. And what I do is I go look at the ones that I haven't crossed off and I feel terrible, right? So this month, this month of now 22 days of really no, well, I coached like three times in January, the first week I coached, but really heading into week three now, it'll be three weeks Wednesday, I think, or two weeks. I really am noticing a lot of things that I just haven't had the time to pay attention to. And I've been able to make some changes in my, in my living space. I've been able to really look at things, be helpful to Gracie and to realize, boy, I want to spend more time doing this and less time doing this. And while I still want to do this, I'm going to do it on different days so that it fits better in my overall scheme of life. Like, like I'm getting, I'm getting it. I really am getting it. This is a Chinese proverb. Be not afraid of going slowly. Be afraid only of standing still. So when I look back to the first two years after Molly died, talk about standing still. That was like one of the stillest, stillest moments of my life. I was never, ever quite so devastated and still as I was in those two years, really. I didn't start moving again until I got ready to fix my face and, and make Jack. I was so still. And I do think that one of my compulsions for staying so super busy that I don't have time to think is that staying still is a trigger for me that it, it, in my mind, it invites bad things to happen. Really hard to know that the one thing that can make you healthy is the one thing that triggers you into feeling unbelievably anxious. I'm getting better at the stillness. There are obligatory prayers in the Baha'i faith. And so what I've tried to do with all of my creating a schedule is I've tried to create a schedule that I think I'm supposed to do based on what other people have told me to do. To have a daily spiritual practice and it should be in the morning. You should start your day with this. My mornings are so out of my control and so dependent on Jack and other things in my life that if I were to set an alarm to get up at four o'clock, there are some nights I would get 30 minutes of sleep. And in my mind, a daily spiritual practice isn't worth that. It has to be different. Or a daily spiritual practice first thing in the morning, because the only time I can ever truly get an extended amount of time on my own when everybody is home is before everybody's awake. 
so I've had a very huge revelation that I can create a daily spiritual practice. I can create daily stretching and mobility work. I can create daily working out in my each day is a bit different sort of way by simply looking at my day when I wake up and deciding where I'm going to plug each thing in. This is hard to do ahead of time. I can do general things ahead of time, but I, in looking over the last, you know, two years, since really since I started the podcast and then tried to sort of start up an online business and looking at, you know, all the different ways to, you know, keep to a schedule. And I realized that unless I'm making the donuts and punching somebody else's time card, I'm not a schedule person. It isn't how I function or operate at all. So I've had, I've had a lot of, you know, conflict in my head about this because again, I feel like I'm failing, you know? I feel like I have a friend, Sean Snow, and for like five years, I don't know, 10 years maybe, he's gotten up every day at like four o'clock or three o'clock and he has a whole thing and he never misses a day. Well, he doesn't have a toddler and he doesn't have 50 other things going on. I mean, he has a full-time job. He figured out what he needed to do and he made it work in his life. It was his life. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll try that way. You know, I'll try that way. And, and, you know, then I know somebody that doesn't get out of bed until she says all her prayers. I think that's KK. I said, all right, I'll pray in bed, except if I stay in bed too long and Jack wakes up, I've got another hour in there. And, and while I can enjoy those sometimes, it does derail me sometimes. I feel derailed. So I started this episode by talking about this crazy busy day and I'm supposed to be slowing down and this day felt so frantic and frenetic. And I want to reiterate and go over some things that are better that show that I am slowing down in my life and that all of these things will have positive outcomes and good things are happening. So I got up before everybody, made coffee, had a cup of coffee. While I was having that cup of coffee, I made Jack's lunch and I made, helped Gracie with her lunch. Jack woke up, he came down. I nursed him for a little while because that's what he wanted. While I was nursing him, I thought about the day and what I needed to do. And I set, I set a schedule for myself that I thought would work. Kenny came down while I woke Kenny up. Kenny came down, I had everything ready for Jack. I was going to take Jack to big boy school. I had something I had to do for the TV show. So Kenny took Jack. The TV show stuff took a long time. So I didn't work out right away. And I actually missed my Molly B meeting, which is a bad thing. But I got those things done. I got a whole bunch of stuff done around the house. I wrote my email, I worked out. I bought some new clothes that I might may or may not wear on this TV interview. I colored my hair. I'm doing my podcast and I'll head off to school board in about 10 minutes. In all of these moments, I took my time. I didn't rush through the store. Because if I rush through the store, I'm not going to see every chart and maybe not find one or maybe find one. I took my time. I took my time at the workout, as I said. I enjoyed my morning with Jack. I did not rush him. I did five or six tasks that I had asked Kenny to do because he didn't do them. But he did make a crock pot meal. So maybe I'm asking too much of Kenny. So I took a deep breath while I had on it, color in my hair. And I did five or six things that he said he would do. They're done. I can walk around resentful or I can just let it go. I had a therapy session with Carolina the other day. We talked about anger. I've talked a lot about anger. And I was going to do a whole other episode on anger. And I decided not to. We were talking about anger. And I said to her that I could see that I get angry. What I said to her was, I always have something I'm angry at. It was, you know, a political thing for a while. And then it was school board. And that's Kenny. Like I... I said, I always have to have something to be angry at. So she gave me a quote and I thought, oh my God, this needs to go on a t-shirt. So basically the gist of the quote is, if you're going to be angry anyway, you might as well choose who or what to be angry with. So she helped me make a list of five things that were acceptable things or people to be angry at. Kenny, Jack, my family, 
None of those things are on the list, nor is the political thing that has me upset because, because I can't resolve that. If something I can do to resolve that, I mean, I don't have the power to resolve the whole thing. I can be a part of it. But. So she gave me a list of five things. Three of them are people, two of them are situations. So yesterday and today, when I started to have anger, I would say, okay, what am I going to focus this anger on now? And when I channeled it on something else, other than what I was actually angry at, the anger sort of dissipated and which led me to being able to not be angry. So look at me with slowing down and being angry and not wanting to drink and how all of these things tie together in, my, in, the, in the chaos that is my life. So that's where I'm at right now. I, I'm working very hard to slow down. I'm working very hard to take control of my reactions to my anger and the things I agree to do or not do, who I choose to help and how and why, what sort of life I set up for myself. And if I had one takeaway from this is that in my chaos, by slowing down within the chaos that is my life in the speed that is my brain, I am learning to notice things. I am learning to be mindful and pay attention to the moment. And this is showing me things. And this is creating opportunity for me that will make me better able to create the lifestyle I still think I want. Because when I really look at my day-to-day -day life and my emotions, I'm as flustered and angry today as I was two years ago. That's how it feels. If I were to zoop back in the Wayback Machine with Mr. Peabody and look at January 22nd, two years ago, it would look very different. And I wouldn't feel badly at all about where I am right now. So I know all of us are here. It's the end of January. So how many of you kept up with your resolutions? Did you make them? I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my start and finish in the spring. I'll either do it leading into all the death stuff with Molly, or I'll wait until I'm through that and June comes and my goal setting will be July and August, which I think is what it will be. That will be my new year. It just makes sense given the, the details of my life. So am I going to stop writing in the journals? No, but I'm not going to belittle myself and beat myself up if I miss a day, right? Or a week. Am I going to continue with the 75 hard? No, I actually want to create a barb hard, a 75 barb. I don't know. I'll create something, just expectations for myself that I, that I follow. And I have wonderful things coming my way. By the time you hear this, I will have already been on the Tamron Hall show. So hopefully that will be a positive experience for me. That's what I'm hoping. I have wonderful people in my life that can share my story and share Molly's book. So I have to focus on these things. Everything is going to be fine. And the little things that irritate me really are little things. Toys not picked up, school board politics, the wrong thing for dinner, or eating an hour late, you know, peeing when I sneeze. Okay, these are all really, really frustrating things, but in the big picture of things, they don't matter. So anyway, I hope this was followable. I hope you like some quotes. If you have other good slowdown quotes, send them my way. I would love to hear them. I'm trying to scoop up interaction. Also, if you're not on my mailing list, I have like 70 people on the mail on my email list. I would love to have 700 people on the email list. So if you listen, I don't use the email to sell anything. It's a quick, it's a sort of a weekly update on what's going on with me. I have links to blogs and podcasts. I also have links to other podcasts I like. So it's a nice resource. I know that we get inundated with emails. So I get it if you don't want to, but I do share things in there. And that, then I feel like I've shared it with the world. And really I've only shared it with 70 people, maybe 30 or 35 of whom actually read to the email. So I'm working on that. And I want to get better at it. Anyway, be good to yourself. Whatever that looks like for you, be good to yourself. Be good to someone else. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories as I love connecting with my listeners. If you would like to get to know Molly, head over to mollybfoundation.org to see what she is all about. 
If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.